Uh, hey, this is Kenny McIntosh, and you in tune with Roster Watch. Roster Watch Nation, how are we doing? It is week nine. Officially, week nine is upon us. Week eight is in the books. And today, right now, Tuesday night, October 31st, Halloween, if you're not out getting candy with your kids, whatever. If you are, have fun, whatever. But it's exactly the halfway point of the NFL season this week. Tomorrow, November 1st, will be that day. The calendars roll over into November. And as the great Bill Belichick says, you got to be playing your best football when the season turns or when the, when the calendar turns over to Halloween. This, around this time of year is when the best football is played, is when you start to see what teams become real, what teams are fish, and what teams are in and what teams are out. We saw the trade deadline go by today. And we saw that be, I think it was pretty mild. I would say it's pretty mild. Um, We saw both edge rushers from the Washington Commanders get traded to Montez Sweat to the Bears, Chase Young to the 49ers. No Brian Burns. A couple weeks ago, the conversations were had around Daniil Hunter. And the Vikings end up trading for... Joshua Dobbs, the quarterback from the Arizona Cardinals, and trading away Ezra Cleveland, an edge rusher, or sorry, an edge rusher, a guard. That was a second-round draft pick for them just a couple years ago. They traded him to Jacksonville because they brought in Dalton Reisner off of the streets um, or off the couch, as some of them would say. Uh, Leonard Williams was traded yesterday to the Seattle Seahawks. It was an interesting part of that trade was that the reason the the the, the capital was a second-round pick was because the Giants are actually paying – 99% of his contract. So they're paying, like I think it's like $9 million, I want to say. Um, there was a c- cool little compensation tidbit that came out was that um, the, the, the Giants were able to get that pick moved up to a second if they were going to eat the, eat the money and end up paying uh, Leonard Williams to go to Seattle. So that's kind of an interesting aspect, kind of, a, kind of a smart angle for the Giants. Get rid of a guy like that, get a second-round pick out of it instead of trading the contract with him and only getting back maybe a fourth or – fourth and the seventh or somewhere in that area. Kevin Byer got traded last week uh, to the Philadelphia Eagles. We had Donovan Peoples-Jones as far as fantasy aspect, guys. Donovan Peoples-Jones was, uh, I think, the only fantasy-centric guy that got traded today uh, to the Detroit Lions, so we can uh, kind of rest Jamison Williams. Um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's going to be a tough one. It's, it's not like a big move or anything, but it is interesting just to see um, them go and say, you know what, man, you had another bad game on Monday Night Football. We're going to go ahead and get a guy in here that's been doing it. So what does that mean? Everyone's kind of aiming that towards the D- Detroit side of things, but what it tells me is that Cleveland maybe has a little more faith in Cedric Tillman, the wide receiver, the rookie wide receiver out of Tennessee, a guy that we were higher on than his counterpart, Jalen Hyatt, coming out of Tennessee. Razul Douglas, a cornerback who played a, a great part of the Green Bay Packers success the last couple of years when Aaron Rodgers was there. He talked about him quite a bit. Razul Douglas now in Buffalo. 
Those are the trades. That's what we saw coming up this week. So we're going to talk about a couple of these guys in here in just a minute. But if you would, please click that like button. Click subscribe here on YouTube if you are tapping in. I appreciate you. We love you. Uh, the waiver show was just a couple hours ago. You can go check that out again after this show with the Trash Man and Alex Dunlap if you're getting ready for your fantasy football waiver wire. But these are the top 10 thoughts that I have coming out of week eight and going into week nine. It is super late. It's 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 – Borderline 7 Eastern time here on a Tuesday night. Um, your boy is finally back home. It's been two weeks literally to the day since I've been back in my own digs. I mean, I got my own mic back. I got my background back. I'm, I'm content. I'm happy. Uh, doing nine loads of laundry today. The house is a mess. But I, I finally got down. I finally sat down. I was able to finally get these notes all written out. And we're here. Top 10 thoughts from week 8 going into week 9. And number 10 is that the San Francisco 49ers that are on a three-game losing streak are indeed not dead. Yeah, the San Francisco 49ers, uh, we've seen them start in Brock Purdy's career in the, uh, in, in, in the regular season. They started out 10-0 and in Brock Purdy's tenure at the quarterback position. And then they've lost three straight football games. And they're 5-3, and three, and they've fallen out of first place in the NFC West, the Seattle Seahawks are five and two. Whilst San Francisco 49ers sit at five and three on a three game skid against the Browns at the Browns at the Vikings, and then home against the Cincinnati Bengals this week. They scored 17 points each of those three games after starting the season out hot, scoring 30, 30, 30, 35, and then 42. Just a hot offense, and their offense has kind of kind of slowed down. No Trent Williams, no Debo Samuel. It's looking quite a bit different. And on the defensive side of the football, you can kind of allude that to Nick Bosa only has four sacks currently at this time. Nick Bosa um, coming into the season was a guy that we saw last year of 18 and a half sacks, lead the defense, do all those things. And he had a few counterparts last year. They cobbled together enough guys on the edge to, I think, combine the, the three edge rushers that combined on the opposite side of him to combine for about, I think it was a, a 10 or 11 sacks. And this year, to this point, we just have not seen that completely compute. We had Drake Jackson have three sacks in week one. He's had 14 pressures on the season. Uh, most of those came in week one in his matchup. Um, they had Clellan Farrell um, from the Raiders, who's been a colossal failure as a, as a top 10 draft pick. They added him to this rotation, and then just a couple weeks ago, they added Randy Gregory um, to the defensive line. Who um, They also have Drake Jackson. Drake Jackson, like I mentioned a second ago. Randy Gregory took over for Drake Jackson just two weeks ago. Drake Jackson, who had a solid rookie season last year, has been disappointed to this part, to this point. And now you're seeing um, the conversation today earlier on was that Jalen Johnson was in conversations with the cornerback from the Bears to go to San Francisco. But it makes sense since they already have Traverius Ward and they're not, I don't think they're that worried about the back end um, outside of Traverius, of course, being an all pro type player right now. They're more worried about the edge and getting somebody to play with Nick Bosa to enhance this defensive line. If you're looking at the total numbers on the season so far, you have the interior guys, Javon Hargrave, who came over in free agency, Eric Armstead, who's been in the offense or been in the defense for a couple years now, and then Javon Kinlaw, who hasn't really broken out on the defensive interior. But it's the edge on the opposite of Nick Posa, where they've been just trying to cobble pieces together the last couple years. And they do that today uh, in the trade deadline. They bring in Chase Young. Now, Nick Bose, according to PFF, has 44 pressures on the season. He has four sacks, 15 quarterback hits. And when you're looking at the grand scheme of the position over the last 
four weeks, so week five, six, seven, and eight, four games. Nick Bosa's fourth in the NFL with 24 pressures behind Josh Sweat, Josh Allen, and Dexter Lawrence. And just below, just below Nick Bosa, who has 24, right? He's tied for second, is Chase Young, who has 22 pressures with three sacks in that time frame. Chase Young has six sacks on the season. The question with Chase Young was always health. Can Chase Young stay healthy? Now you're putting quite literally the fourth, well, tied second, fourth and fifth best edge rushers so far this season over the, over the last month. You're putting those two guys that have gotten out of the quarterback the most, caused the most pressures uh, combined over the last four weeks, have six sacks, nine, uh, nine quarterback hits, 31 hurries, and like I said, a combined 46 pressures in four games. So you're talking about double-digit pressures between these two guys now going to be playing in the same defense coming out of the bye. They have a whole bye coming up this week in Week 9. They get Jacksonville, Tampa, Seattle, and then the big matchup against the Eagles in Week 13. Seattle again. Again, they're playing for this division right now. They're a half game behind the Seattle Seahawks, whom they play in Week 12 and 14. I think it's going to be a fun stretch. They're going to get Debo back. They should have Trent back. Both of the guys hopefully after the bye. I do not think San Francisco is dead. Now, it's a, it's a big hiccup. It's a big, big, big hiccup. That game, they should have never lost to Cleveland. Of course, the game against Minnesota Monday night, you see Kirk play what is, 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 is thought of as his best career game as a Minnesota Viking. And then you get the Joe Burrow Bengals that come into Candlestick. Candlestick. They come into San Francisco and win 31-17. They themselves have been hot since their loss against Tennessee a month ago. San Francisco is not dead yet. I trust them. I think this is going to be scary if Chase Young and Nick Bosa, if Chase Young can stay healthy, this defensive line is going to be fucking disgusting. We'll just put it that way. Number nine, Desmond Ritter will not start for Atlanta in 2024. We've seen a lot of weird comments from Arthur Smith over the last day uh, or two days, I should say, about Ritter and about Heineke and about how you know, it's 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 not really, um, or, or basically, how did he word it? He said, when asked if Ritter will start assuming start assuming he's healthy, Arthur Smith said, "I gotta see where he's at. That's the best I can give you." And basically, a lot of the comments have been, you know, we're gonna do what's best for the team, and that would portray that they're going to bench him or that he was benched. Now, during the game on Sunday, he came out at halftime. It wasn't after a play. It was just after halftime. It was Heineke that was playing quarterback. And it was like, oh, it's a concussion. And now they're playing the concussion card when he had he had the he had the earpiece in, he had the hat on, he was paying attention, he was locked in from the jump uh, of the start of the second half. He wasn't back in the locker room going through anything. He wasn't in street clothes. He had his pads on. I don't know. It's a, it seems very, very fishy. It seems like a benching to me. I think he was 8 for 12 with 80 yards. Nothing impressive. They were down 14-3 at halftime. And Heineke comes in and lights a fire under uh, the entire team and goes toe-to-toe with Levis. I don't think Will Levis goes hard uh, as hard as he does in that game if it's not for Tyler Taylor Heineke pushing um, the Falcons down the stretch there in the third quarter and kind of making it a game in the fourth quarter, scoring a couple touchdowns. So... I don't know what to make of what Atlanta's trying to do because it seems like they want to win their four and four. They're set up in a fine spot right now. I think if you look at the NFC playoffs, that the 
Falcons are kind of positioned in a weird spot to first off win their division. And secondly, if not that, there's a, there's an avenue to a buy. There's an avenue to a buy. There's an avenue to a, a, a wild card. The Vikings are four and four. Uh, Dallas right now holds a wild card at five and two. So they're a game and a half in front of the Falcons. Again, Falcons are tied with New Orleans four and four in their division. And then the Niners are five and three. So there, there's a spot there where potentially two NFC South teams make it in the playoffs because of how mediocre the middle of the ground is in the NFC. But I do know that I don't think Desmond Ritter is going to be the quarterback in 2024. They're making that apparent right now. He's only he's less than 16 games into his career. I think he's at game like 13 of his career right now. But we just have not seen it. We've seen the incompetencies. We've seen him, the lack of, of pushing. It's kind of similar to what Tannehill. Tannehill, you see the lack of, of pushing the football right now. Where Heineke just, you know, he's, he's just got the command of that offense. It just a, feels a, like a different energy in Atlanta when Taylor Heineke is at the quarterback position for them. Number eight. Denver is going to be a team that continues doing weird stuff throughout the rest of the season. So I did a little bit of an experiment here where I went to playoff predictor, which is like v2.playoffpredictors.com. And you can kind of predict or, 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 or select winners over the course of the next, whatever you can guess the rest of the season if you want, but I went ahead and just predicted through week 13. So that's through December or sorry, through, through November week 13. So we're currently week eight. We're looking at nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, the next five weeks. And I wanted to see, all right, what do these matchups look like? Who do I think is going to win these games? Um, being completely not like completely non-biased um, and, and seeing like who's home, who's away, who's coming off by all the whole nine yards plugged in here. And I came away with a couple of surprises, and that was the Broncos improving to six and six between now and then. The Broncos are currently three and five, and the Patriots going to be six and six. They're currently two and six, which is kind of weird. I don't, I don't really know how I got to came with that. I got to look at this New England schedule again. Washington, Indianapolis, New York, and then the Chargers at home in December. That's how that came around. Like I, those are four winnable games for New England. Um, they beat Buffalo. They've been tight with the, the Raiders. The They played the Miami fine. Miami's a good football team. Uh, I just think New England's going to – they're going to be weird the next month too, and I think that there's a world where they win a couple of those games. Whatever. The point more so was Denver. Denver. Russell Wilson has 16 touchdowns and four interceptions right now. They come off the bye. They get Buffalo, Minnesota, Cleveland. And Russell Wilson, like I just said, 16 touchdowns, four interceptions, 16 touchdowns being the number he threw for, I believe, in the entire season last year. Russell Wilson, who caught a ton of the flack um, for the performances that were had, um, in the early part of the year. And of course the defense didn't really do their part um, whatsoever to give these guys the ability to win football games, <clears throat> giving up 70, of course, but a year ago right now, Denver um, in Denver, Russell Wilson had 16 touchdowns, 11 picks on the season. Two years ago in Seattle, uh, Russell Wilson finished with 25 touchdowns, six interceptions. The year before that, 40 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. The year before that, 31 and five. That was back in 2019. Currently, through eight games, he has 16 touchdowns, four picks. So he's projecting for around 32 to 33 touchdowns and eight picks, which is right around where he was in Seattle. If you back the tracks up to 2021 or to 2019, 
He's projecting for about 3,300 passing yards. He's averaging 6.9 yards per attempt, which is the least in his entire career, 0.4 lower than last season, a yard lower than the year before that. He's averaging about 8.0, 8.1, 7.7 through his tenure in Seattle. I just think that they didn't make any moves, and they're going to continue to try and be a team that's going to try and make moves uh, during the remainder of the season. Now, does that mean anything for anything? I think it does. I think it means that Denver's going to try and be like kind of like the Denver Broncos. That, or it's not the Denver Broncos. Sorry. The Denver Broncos are going to try and be like the Detroit Lions that we saw just a few short seasons ago. If you go back to 2021, I think it was, or was it 2022? Let's see here. 2022, last year. Where the Packers, or sorry, the Lions, I'm reading the Packers, the Lions down the stretch against the Packers in November, November 6th, uh, so next week, week nine, they won against the Packers, they won against the Bears, they won against the Giants, they lost to Buffalo, they beat Jacksonville, Minnesota Jets, they lost to the Panthers, they beat the Bears and Packers, so they finished the season eight and two. They're in the midst of kind of. Not kind of. They're they're in the midst of rebuilding, right? They have the quarterback already. Um, They're keeping the talent on the outside. They're keeping the Suttons and the Judys right now. They haven't given Marvin Mims much of a much of a leash or an opportunity. The backfield's healthy. Javante's healthy. We're seeing what McLaughlin is. They're trying. They're trying to move some pieces and and shake some pieces. Right? They cut Gregory. They let Frank Clark walk. Denver's going to be interesting. I don't know really what to think. They still have, of course, Justin Simmons. They got Baron Brown, and they got some dudes on this team that maybe it's just that it's taken a little bit of time to get into the Sean Payton team, the feel of what they're giving and what they're what the what the team can be. But you look at how bad they struggled earlier this year, giving up 35 to Washington, giving up 70 to Miami, and then they beat Chicago in that weird game. And they lose to the Jets 31-21, and then after that Jets loss, they give up 19 to the Chiefs. They give up 17 to the Packers, and they give up 9 to the Chiefs. So they've given up 28 points to the Kansas City Chiefs in two games in the last three weeks. They've scored 32, so they've outscored the Chiefs 32-28. to They split the season series 1-1 with the Kansas City Chiefs, the first one in Arrowhead in a night game. And they beat the Packers in between. The Packers are not like a big win or anything, but they're going into a bye week now at 3-5, and five, winning three of their last five. And they're interesting. I don't think they're going to do anything, but I think that the Sean Payton idea build is starting to work. Again, like I said, Russ, 66% completion percentage up, 6% percentage points since 2022. 16 touchdowns, four picks. They, they're keeping all the talent around them. I don't know what to make of it, but I think they're going to be an interesting piece to watch. Um, it was interesting they didn't sell off any big pieces today or yesterday. And they're going into a bye week after a big, 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 big win at home against Kansas City. Two back-to-back wins against the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs. And you could have argued that they could have had a chance to win that game uh, against the Chiefs in Arrowhead if 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 this one lady wouldn't have been in the box. I guess there would have been maybe 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 been a better better chance. But uh, Denver Broncos, they don't know what to make of them. Not going to call them the next Detroit Lions, but it seems it seems like the style of football they're playing is much more much closer to what they wanted to play to begin with and they just it's just starting to it's starting to click but they got a big test they got buffalo bills 
and Minnesota Vikings in back-to-back night games in Buffalo and then at home against the Vikings should be interesting to see what happens. Monday night football and then Sunday night football for the Denver Broncos. If you are tam- if you are tapped in here on YouTube, I appreciate you. Please click that like button, click subscribe. We'll be here every week as well as waiver wire that was here earlier today. And then on Sundays, the watching rosters start or sit show 11 a.m. Eastern time as always. Coupled into this was the Kansas City Chiefs that I just brought up just a moment ago. And I wanted to kind of go through some of the things that have happened. And, and, and the thought here is, We've talked all year about San Fran, Philly, Kansas City, San Fran, Philly, Kansas City. That's kind of been the teams that have sat in around tier one in power rankings in my show, The Hurdle. The Hurdle. Um, you can find that on YouTube at the Executives of Fantasy Football. We do that on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Tonight it's going to be about 9 p.m. Eastern time because of Halloween. But our, our hurdle rating every week has been San Francisco, and then we pivoted to Kansas City. And I wanted to just talk about the, the 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 parody, I think is the word, over the last four weeks of the NFL. So four weeks ago, Jacksonville beats Buffalo, and then Jacksonville gets hot. Jacksonville started the season off, you know, not the hottest. We'll talk about them here in a minute, but they've won five straight. They're now six and two. They beat Buffalo. Buffalo is now five and three. The Jets beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Nobody really saw that one coming at all. That was just three weeks ago. Cleveland beat San Francisco that same week. So Philly and San Fran, who look like they're the, 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 the top of the cheesecake in the NFC, both go down a couple weeks ago. And then last week, New England beats Buffalo, who Buffalo just looked like they were starting to get going. They lose to, they lose to Jacksonville overseas. They come home, they win, and then they lose to New England. Bang, just like that. Like the Buffalo is just up and down, up and down. Same week, Baltimore walks Detroit which nobody saw coming, 38-6, just a complete dog walking of Detroit. And then Minnesota beat San Francisco on Monday Night Football. So again, we see San Francisco losing back-to-back weeks. Philadelphia loses, Detroit loses, Buffalo loses twice in three weeks. And then this week, Denver beats Kansas City after after Denver played Kansas City good a couple weeks ago. I was for sure, I was for certain, I was for certain that Kansas City was going to go into that game on Sunday in Denver and walk the dog and give Denver what they should have given them a couple weeks ago. But like we just talked about with Denver, they're just they're playing a lot differently than they were a month and a half ago, similar to what Jacksonville is. And then Cincinnati hands San Francisco their third consecutive loss, this one in at home in San Francisco. So over the course of the last four weeks, we saw San Francisco go down three times. We saw Philly lose. We saw Buffalo go down twice. We saw Kansas City lose. And we saw Detroit get walked like a puppy dog. And we've talked all year about San Fran, Philly, and Kansas City being the cock of the walk in the NFC. And it seems like it's Philadelphia right now. But again, Philadelphia hasn't been a dominant, dominant football team. They've just been able to continue to get it done. We've seen some flashes in the running game earlier this year. And then, of course, we got the, the six consecutive games from you know the Alpha himself, Um AJ Brown. But even when you look at their games, it's like they, they they lost by six to the Jets. They only beat the Rams by nine. They beat the Commanders by three in week four. Then they beat the Commanders by seven this week, giving up 31 to the Commanders uh twice in a five-week span. It's not good because Washington's not a good football team. Um, they beat Miami, which is a good win. 
but they haven't really been like dusting. They haven't been dusting teams like we saw San Francisco do earlier in the year. How we we kind of are used to Philadelphia dominating. They just aren't dominating the same way that you know you 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 rewind to a year ago and they they beat Pittsburgh by twenty. Um, they score forty on the Packers. They beat the Titans by twenty five. They beat the, the Giants by twenty six. Um, and and they just kind of get the job done on a weekly basis. Earlier in, er, early in the season, so I, I don't think that there's a pure number one right now. I like I like San Fran and what they look like, but again, if 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 Purdy, I don't think Purdy's the problem. I think it's more so they're missing Trent and missing Debo. But I think Chase Young's going to help. I think Debo, if they can stay healthy, and Trent Williams, if they can stay healthy, it's going to be a different ball game. I think it's still San Fran and Philadelphia, but it is interesting to see. All those guys lose this year, as well as Detroit. Detroit looked good on Monday Night Football, but again, it was the Raiders. Number six, Jacksonville has completely flipped the script. So I was looking back at, at kind of what Doug Peterson did in Philadelphia, and if you look back, you can see his first year he was seven and nine, and then this year they went last year they went nine and seven in Jacksonville. He was on with Pat McAfee today talking about the reason he took the job. McAfee straight up just said, "Hey, was, was Trevor Lawrence the reason you took the job?" And he goes, yeah, hundred percent. He's like, I, I, when I knew what opportunities were at hand and interviews I had, I knew I was going to interview Jacksonville because of Trevor Lawrence. And I was just thinking back, I was like, damn, you remember when Philadelphia, you know, they had Wentz, whatever, and then they went to the Super Bowl with Doug Peterson that year. And I was just trying to remember, like, you know, how people viewed Carson Wentz in that draft with Jared Goff and what he could do and what he couldn't do and the talent and, 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 and what type of a thrower he was and kind of a passer. I remember that team with Elshon Jeffrey and all of those backs, those bruising backs. And that was really the early, that was the, that was the, that was the underdog Eagles that went 13 and three with Chris Long and all that stuff. And that was the early stage of, of what the Eagles have now become uh, as a more respected football team for winning. But that's the thing about Jacksonville, about a team that you know hasn't been really so respected. They went nine and seven last year, and they're adding competent pieces. Um, they did spend the early draft pick on Trayvon Walker, which looked like a complete flameout for the first month of football. They're now six and two. They've been rock steady the last month. They went over to London. It was really weird. I, I, I've talked about this on multiple shows, but they went over to London. And I was like, this team sucks, man. They're 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 one and two. They beat Indianapolis in week one. They should have lost that football game. I've said that a hundred times. They should have lost that football game of a special teams play. They lose to KC. They get walked by Houston. I said, what in the hell is this Jacksonville football team? And then they go to London and they wax poetic on Atlanta. And then they bring Buffalo over there on a complete setup, a complete jumping of Buffalo, where they Jacksonville's over there for a week and a half, two weeks. And then Atlanta, and then Buffalo comes over, and they and they beat Buffalo. Then they come home, they wax Indianapolis, make a statement, and then I go to that game on Thursday night football, and they wax New Orleans, and then late they let them in the game. And then this last week they beat the Steelers twenty to ten, and they're they're rock solid, they're rock steady. And so I was looking up at some of the pressure numbers, and Josh Allen, who had fifteen pressures through the first four weeks of the season, now has thirty nine. So he had fifteen the first four weeks, now he has thirty nine. That's 24. So we improved from 15 to 24 in the second quarter of the NFL season. Trayvon Walker had eight pressures, eight total pressures in four games, his first four games of his, of his career. He now has 25. So he improved from eight in the first quarter to 17 in the second quarter. 
And that is entirely what has changed is that their lack of getting at the quarterback in the first quarter of the season is what made me think this team sucked. It was like, the, the, okay, their, their offense has talent around it. Yeah, cool. That Ridley's going to have a game. Kirk's going to have a game. Engram's going to sit and be consistent. They brought uh, Travis Etienne. They brought this new Travis Etienne back from London. I don't know what they fed him there. What happened? I don't know if – I don't know what happened. But it's a new Travis Etienne, and I love every bit of it. And I, just, I guess another thought that I could have is think back to that draft with Najee Harris and Travis Etienne and how the fantasy community reacted to that and how in they were on Najee Harris at the time and not Travis Etienne, knowing what Travis Etienne was as a, as a dynamic athlete, what he could do in the receiving game. Oh, but Najee can do it too. But Najee can do it too. And he's 230 pounds. He can do it too. No, psych. You, you you can see what's the real deal now. So Jacksonville, yeah, the pressures are the biggest thing. These two guys combined, Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker, week one through four, 23 pressures, week five through eight. Unreal numbers right here. Week one through four, they had 23 pressures. And the week five through eight, they've had 41 23 to 41. So they've nearly doubled, nearly doubled their pressure output on the defensive line here in Jacksonville. So I love to see that. You come, they come off the bye next week and they get San Francisco on a noon game at home. Then they get Tennessee. Double big games. Tennessee, of course, you know, in the same division. That's what makes that big. They play them twice over the last seven weeks of the season. Then they get Houston, Cincinnati, Cleveland. Like this is a, Talk about 13 and 3 for Doug Peterson, that second year in Philadelphia, 7 and 9 to 13 and 3. This Jacksonville team, where the schedule's lined up, 9 and 7 to 13 and, and 4 or 14 and 3, is not out of the question. Again, they're 6 and 2. They pull San Fran at home this next week. Team has lost three straight. I still edge San Fran there, but it's going to be a freaking game. Tennessee, Houston, Cincinnati's hot. That'd be a night game. Cleveland, Baltimore's a night game. Tampa Bay, Carolina, Tennessee. You can see them lose two or three of those games and be 12 and 5, 13 and 4. Pretty good football team, Jacksonville. I did not expect not expected. They completely flipped the script and they've started to play defense over the course of the last month as far as getting after the quarterback. And the team has been scoring points themselves. Number five, Jordan Addison. Plus, Justin Jefferson is a top three duo in the NFL. And when you add in TJ Hawkinson, it's possibly the best trio in all of the NFL. No longer, I think, is a hot take. I brought this up, I think, about a month and a half ago. And I look at Justin Jefferson's career games one through eight. So this was back through his rookie season. People remember Ola B.C. Johnson getting the starts ahead of him. Jordan Addison, his first eight games this year. They're eerily similar, and I understand that now Jefferson's been banged up, so it's kind of going to enable Addison to get opportunities. But Jefferson got opportunities too, right? He's playing with Thielen and stuff, uh, an aging, in, injured Thielen. Justin Jefferson's first eight games versus Jordan Addison's first eight games. Justin Jefferson, 356 snaps, two games with over an 80% snap share, and he started six games out of his first eight. Jordan Addison, 385 snaps. With two games over 80% snap share, the same as Jefferson, and he started five games versus Jefferson's six in their first eight. 
Addison has 29 more snaps through his first eight games. Total fantasy PPR points in that time frame. Addison, 126.4. Jefferson, 116.7. On the season, Addison's now the wide receiver 11. And on the season during that time, Jefferson was wide receiver 22. The stat lines are kind of similar, but in different ways. Jefferson had 34 receptions. Addison, 36. Jefferson had three touchdowns. Addison has seven. That's where the difference comes in. And then the yards on the opposite direction. Jefferson had 627. Addison, 482. So Jefferson's more dynamic with the football in his hands, but Addison just seems to be able to find that damn end zone. This is a sick duo, and I'm excited for whoever uh, is able to be the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings for the next five, six years. It seems like you got you got Addison on a rookie contract. If Kirk Cousins does not come back, He's dealing with an Achilles, obviously. If he does not come back and they get a rookie quarterback, say that they somehow end up in the opportunities to get a a May, whatever. I don't think they're going to because they're too good right now. They're 20th overall in the NFL draft. They're 4-4. and They would have to pretty much lose out, which is not out of the range of possibilities with Jaron Hall. The quarterback is Jaron Hall blows complete donkey respectfully and that's not to be a disrespectfully but he's just not good he's not a good quarterback he's 25 and a half years old for a reason and he wasn't drafted early for a reason now there's opportunities for him to maybe catch atlanta sleeping this week but that's here nor there joshua dobbs in our hand whatever we'll see what happens i just it's just not optimal for the vikings to go on a winning spree they could always trade up for a drake may or bring Kirk cousins back regardless my point is justin jefferson jordan addison i believe is the best duo in the nfl and I think that when they're both healthy in the field together, you're going to see a different dynamic. We didn't quite see Addison unleashed before Jefferson got hurt. Now we're seeing what Addison can do. I think it's going to open the door for uh, Kevin O'Connell to utilize both these dogs in the same field at the same time. And I haven't even talked about TJ Hawkinson yet. Number four, C.D. Lamb's bounce back. C.D. Lamb's a guy that the conversations were had, you know, oh, should we trade CeeDee Lamb? Should we get rid of Tony Pollard? Should we fade this Denver or this Dallas uh, Cowboys offense for the rest of the season? We, you know, we haven't really gotten it from CeeDee Lamb, right? He had one game where he was inside the top 10. Uh, week one, he was wide receiver 30. Week two, he was wide receiver 8. And then he went on a little spree where he was wide receiver 38, 21, 37. And then in week six, before the bye, he was wide receiver 10. And then all we heard about during the bye was, you know, should we get rid of the Dallas Cowboys offense? Should we get away from Pollard? Should we get away from Lamb? And the thought was, I, I, I just wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be the dude that does that. 14 targets for CeeDee Lamb in this game and a complete waxing of the Los Angeles Rams from every aspect. 158 yards receiving for CeeDee Lamb. He now has 19 receptions for 200 and 75 receiving yards in the last two games against the Rams and against the Chargers. Must not be a fan of Los Angeles because he absolutely walked both teams. It brings you right back to that Jets game earlier this year. It was 30-10, to 10, and he had 11 for 143. I think CeeDee Lamb is just going to be fine. Um, I said that a week ago. I said that two weeks ago. I wasn't really worried about Lamb because this offense kind of revolves around him. I was more worried about Pollard just to see what that – utilization looked like coming out of the bye i was thinking that potentially we're going to use a little more deuce vaughn and in reality it was just a little bit more rico dowdle rico dowdle who hasn't done anything this year um, to warrant more snaps he had 18 snaps in week two and since then it was 10 6 10 9 
And then they came out of the bye, gave him 22 snaps. And you saw Tony Pollard have 41, which is a 65% snap share, uh, which was his lowest since week four when he had 54%, his third lowest on the season. Rico Dottle had 35%, which was his highest in the season. And you saw Hunter Lepke uh, active and get 10% snap share with Deuce Vaughn being inactive again. Uh, he wasn't active in week six or week eight. So Pollard's going to continue to get his snap share and his work, it looks like, it seems. And CeeDee Lamb's going to continue to, like Jamar Chase, say, I'm open, throw me the football, and you're going to continue to see that. Number three, the Bears are drafting a quarterback, wide receiver, or tackle. Two of those three positions are going to be drafted by the Chicago Bears to go ahead and, and sign Montez. Jesus Christ. Good old FaceTime in the middle of the show, huh? Nothing like it. Um, or is that? Chicago Bears are going to draft a two of three. Quarterback, wide. The Chicago Bears are going to draft two of three. Quarterback, wide receiver, or offensive tackle. They, they signed Montez Sweat today from they, – they trade for Montez Sweat today from the Washington Commanders. And the, the thought early was from multiple sources was this is stupid or this is fantastic for the team because, firstly, it's fantastic because the price they paid and they have the rights to sign him. I don't think you make this trade unless you've already had conversations with he and his agent about a potential long-term deal, which I would believe that they did. They didn't have to give up a second-round pick like the Niners did for uh, Chase Young. Or did it? Wait, wait, they did. They did. did. Sorry, I said that wrong. They did give up a second-round pick for Montez Sweat. Wait, what? I'm confused. I'm confusing myself now. That freaking FaceTime call just goofied my brain. Um, let me see here. I believe it was a second round pick, if I don't remember right. Correct. For a 2024 second round pick. God damn it. Anyways, trade the second round pick. Yes, because it was the same as Chase Claypool. This is a much better deal than that Chase Claypool one a year ago. And the reason I thought was that the Chicago Bears know the value of this 2024 NFL draft, and that is there's no edge in this tier. There's no Will Anderson in this class. There's no Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau. There's none of that in this class. This class is going to be uh, Leo Tu from UCLA, Verse from Florida State, Dallas Turner from Alabama. These guys are lower. They're lower in the conversation. They're more towards the 10, 11, 12 selections than it is the 1, 2, 3, 4 selections where you're looking at Olufashino if you need to tackle. You're looking at Marvin Harrison Jr. You're looking at Drake May and Caleb Williams at quarterback. Like They're looking at those four guys, and that should be – hopefully the focal point for the Chicago bears. Now, if they get to that point and they have the number one and number two pick, this gives them optimal flexibility to, if they have the number one pick, take the quarterback that they want and then trade that number two overall pick. If they have it to regain more value and get a second round pick, of course, and future firsts and completely to com- and continue to completely build this team out top to bottom. Bringing in a Montez Sweat, I think, also helps with the growth for uh, Rasheem Green, who came in this past year as a free agent, hasn't really had the, the big boom uh, after Seattle to Houston, now in, in in Chicago. Zach Pickens, a rookie, Gervon Dexter, rookies. I think it, it, it helps progress those guys as they have Yannick Ngakwe on the opposite side. I think he's a key part that you could key piece that you can have in this defense for the next four years. So hopefully they can they can sum up a four year deal for Montez Sweat. But the the thought more so is that I think 
this told you exactly how they feel about next year's class and that they're going to go two of three quarterback wide receiver tackle in the draft. Chicago Bears, number three. Number two, week nine. So we talked about week eight. We talked about some of the takeaways from week eight. Now I want to talk about week nine because week nine is going to be the definition of a maniacal week. It starts out on Thursday Night Football. We're going to get Will Levis against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Looks like Kenny Pickett is going to be playing. Deontay Johnson is going to be playing. We'll see if he can last the whole game. But I'm interested to see a DeAndre Hopkins versus Patrick Peterson, a DeAndre Hopkins versus Joy Porter Jr., because I think he is a good matchup in both. Traylon Burks to play in his second consecutive game. After week three, he hadn't played until last week and just got some reps, not all of them. We saw Nick Westbrook catch a big touchdown in that game. But if they can have Burks close, you know, run a couple more routes than he did last week in this offense and allow Hopkins to line up on Patrick Peterson, who's aging just as well Hopkins is, but Hopkins looks like he could take advantage of him. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in this football game. I'm, I'm, We'll talk about the we'll talk about one of the players in this game here in a minute. That's the the top takeaway if you if you if you weren't inclined by the thumbnail. Then on Sunday morning, nine thirty a.m. ripe kickoff, we get Tyreek Hill and the Dolphins against the Kansas City Chiefs in the battle of the AFC. You look at the top of the AFC standings right now, and these are the two dogs that are sitting at the top of the AFC standings, um, along with the Baltimore Ravens. And these guys are playing each other in Germany at 9.30 in the morning. What is Kansas City? What is Miami? No uh, Nick Bolton for the Chiefs, obviously. And there's obviously no talent at the wide receiver position for the Kansas City Chiefs. And it's, it's because it belongs in Miami. And Miami has the offense, but they don't quite have the defense. Jalen Ramsey did come back last week and have a pick. Kansas City Chiefs, no Nick Bolton. Like I mentioned before, they've had a good defense all season long. But they've they've been playing at a medium level. This will be a big game to tell that difference. The Minnesota Vikings and the Atlanta Falcons, the Falcons dropped that game to Will Levis last week. They're 4-4, four and four, but they still lead the division. And the Vikings have reeled off three consecutive wins without Kirk Cousins. Now, can they continue that against the Atlanta Falcons? It feels like both of these teams are about, at about the same level right now. Again, they're both 4-4, four and four, which is the dumbest thing for me to say is at the same level because they're literally both 4-4. Four and four. But we've seen good out of both teams. We've seen bad out of both teams. But I think the advantage goes to Minnesota on the defensive side of the football. Grady Jarrett tears his ACL. And it feels like Minnesota is the hottest team right now out of these guys. And if they do run out Jaron Hall, just like Will Levis last week, the Falcons don't know what Jaron Hall is or what that's going to be. Are they going to run the football more? Are they going to throw the football just as much? And then the, at the 1 o'clock window as well, you get Seattle and Baltimore. So Baltimore is a team that's been considered into that Tier 2. They've been considered a good team all season, but they haven't been able to finish all their football games. Let's start the one against Detroit. And then Seattle, whose every game is down to the wire, is 5-2, and two, the leaders of the AFC or the NFC West. And the Ravens, 6-2, and two, are the leaders of the AFC East. Another massive, massive game with big implications. Tampa Bay and Houston's an interesting game. You get C.J. Stroud, see if he can bounce back against the Buccaneers coming out of a bye. The Rams and Packers, the Rams have let a couple games down. The Packers, are they on their way to the bottom? It, it would seem right now that the Packers are on their way to the bottom. Bears and Saints will be an interesting one. And then on Sunday afternoon, 425 Eastern time, we get the Cowboys and the Eagles 
which is going to be battle number one of two on the season projected. It could be a third one in the playoffs, but battle number one of two between the seven and one Eagles and the five and two Cowboys for the NFC East. And then Sunday night football, maybe the best of the rest, the bills and Bengals five and three bills against one of the hottest teams right now in football, the Bengals four and three, the bills are bipolar as they've ever been traveling to Cincinnati this year to travel to, to take on the Cincinnati Bengals four and three. So that is a massive game as well. Cowboys, Eagles, Bills, Bengals, Titans, Steelers, Dolphins, Chiefs, Vikings, Falcons, Seahawks, Ravens. It's going to be a glorious week nine, a maniacal week nine, some would say. And it's all going to be capped off on Monday night. The three and four Chargers and the four and three Jets in the Meadowlands. It's going to be a fun week number nine. Now, the top thought from week eight going into week nine goes back to that same game that I mentioned just a second ago, the Titans and Steelers. Everyone's like, well, why are you bringing, why are you talking about the Titans and Steelers? Who gives a shit about that game? Everyone, everyone cares about the rest of them. Who gives a shit about the Titans and Steelers? I'll tell you who does this guy, because Will Levis has been a conversation that I've been having to deal with and have had for the last year and a half. And I put him as my quarterback one. I could probably look back on Twitter right now, to be honest with you. I could probably find the first day that I said something about Will Levis being the quarterback one in this class. But it had to be about a year a year and some change. Uh, or sorry, two, yeah, about two years and some change ago. As I'm scrolling madly through my tweets with the word Levis attached to it right now to see how far back that was. Because I remember vividly a game that happened and I quote tweeted the video and said this, but my thought more, more so than anything. Um, and last week, my question number five in the top 10 thoughts was, can will Elvis, will Elvis, will Levis, can will Levis elevate the Titans? That was my question coming into week number eight. Not only did will Levis elevate, but I'm going to call him the elevator because this is something that I talked about with Dak Prescott as being a guy that is a maintainer, a maintainer, a guy who's just there, who just gets the ball out to the guys, like a Kirk Cousins just gets the ball to the guys, but he does not elevate the team. He does not make the team uh, that much better. He does not unlock different aspects of the football team that you haven't seen before. He does not do any of these aspects. Will Levis came in and did what Ryan Tannehill hasn't been able to do in a couple of years, which is elevate the Tennessee Titans in a football game to the fullest extent. They scored 28 points in this game, the most they've scored all season. They scored 27 against the Bengals. They won 27-3. They scored 27 against the Chargers. They won 27-24. You want to go back to those two games. Tannehill had a touchdown, a pick, 240 yards. Derrick Henry, 122 on the ground, a touchdown. Tyja Spears, 40 yards on the ground. You go back to week two against the Chargers in that football game. Tannehill, 246 and a touchdown, 20 for 24, very efficient. But you had a rushing touchdown by Tannehill. You had 50 yards on the ground by Spears, 80 yards on the ground by Derrick Henry, games that were controlled by them. Tannehill's been fine. He's been a maintainer, but he has not been an elevator. I think, and this is just me foreshadowing or projecting or, or, or looking back with hindsight, I would say that if Tannehill was playing in that game and he was healthy, 
that I think the Falcons win that football game because of the way that Taylor Heineke changed the pace of the second half, and we haven't been able to see Ryan Tannehill push the football down the field to DeAndre Hopkins. That's just the facts. You can look at what DeAndre Hopkins did yesterday, and it's something he hasn't done in quite some time. And yes, he had 140 yards against the Colts a couple weeks ago, but I'm talking about takeover a game, scored three touchdowns, make this thing seem like a seem like it seemed like the Titans were up by more than what they were up by during this football game. It seemed like they were up like 35 to, to six at one point in the third quarter when he hit Hopkins on a long touchdown. It seemed like a different football game, and then reality. It was 21-9, and, and Taylor Heineke ended up you know, saying, hey, guess what? We got Benjamin Robinson. Hey, guess what? Scotty Miller touchdown, and then and it became something that whatever. And I think PFF tweeted out, you know, vintage Hopkins because we haven't seen this this type of a, a takeover from Hopkins. And I'm trying to look back. The last time he had a, 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 a two-touchdown game with over 100 yards was he had 169 and a touchdown against the Eagles back in 2020. But two touchdowns in north of 100. Week one, 2019 for the Houston Texans against the Saints, and they lost 30 to 28. Before that, he did it week 14. He did it. He did it numerous times. That's the point. But Will Levis is the elevator. He's not a maintainer like a Dak Prescott. I said I thought his worst case comp was Blake Bortles. I think that's warranted right now. You just saw the four touchdown game. You ripping the football. We saw that same shit out of Blake Bortles. But I also thought the upside was more of a Josh Allen. I don't think the upside's a Josh Allen. I think the upside's more of a Rodgers because of, I didn't know Will Levis could command an offense. This or, well, first off, I didn't know he could command. I knew he could command one, but I didn't know he could command one this early. I didn't know that he could diagnose a defense within three drives and and completely no checks to make, com- like you could hear it vividly on the TV copy of him getting up to the line of scrimmage and check, check, Mike, 55, 55, you know, Velcro, Velcro, and just change the play completely, have the audacity and the ability and the wherewithal to do that as a rookie where you've heard over the past couple of years, guys, and maybe this is an easier offense to understand. I don't know. I'm not a quarterback. But you've heard over the years where guys like Jimmy Garoppolo or wherever, or, or even Kyler Murray, where the the they were maybe not gifted those opportunities to make changes to the line of scrimmage. Or when a play call came in, they were had the the the, the quarterback or the, the coaches like Shanahan had to explain stuff a little bit deeper or more in depth at the time. I was impressed to see Levis do that. I that was not something that I expected to see or thought Levis could do from the jump was that I thought, you know, Levis has the arm strength. I think he can diagnose. I think he can put the ball anywhere he needs to put the ball. But all the other stuff is stuff that you really can't learn or diagnose other than watching the TV copy in college and stuff like that. So that's one part that I did not um, see. And it came to fruition on, on Sunday of him just, I don't know. It's just different. There was another thing that I wanted to talk about, which was I was tipped off. I had a little report back in, I want to say it was like, I want to say it was like late March um, to where they talked about, um, 
Will Levis having nearsightedness, which is known as myopia, and it was pretty severe, and that there was worries about uh, his potential uh, and all this, all this other stuff. And I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds on this, but there was worries about his vision, and that he went under and did a procedure back then in the spring that was a newer procedure that was uh, not done by a lot of people. And if done right, would give him in quotes, Eagle vision. And I was like, wow, this is kind of interesting. I'm not, I, he's, I'm not, I'm not going to share this information because it's not my information to give. But now an article came out a month and a half ago explaining this. So you can go look it up if you wish. Um, but he went under and had this, um, this surgery. He couldn't have LASIK. This is past LASIK. He's, he's too myopic for LASIK, I think was the phrasing in this article. Um, and, th- and that's what I got tipped off to back in like March was that people were teams were kind of hesitant because of that reasoning. And anyway, he ends up having this, this eye surgery and it looks to me like it potentially worked. So I'm just going to leave it at that. I think Will Levis is still enduring a unwavering hate from the Twitter community. And I, I understand it from a, from a, from an aspect of I've done the same thing for certain players like uh, Romeo Dobbs, for example, I've never been a big fan of Romeo Dobbs, but he's had a couple good games and I would still unwaveringly say I would not like Romeo Dobbs, but I had a reason for that. I went and saw Romeo Dobbs perform at the senior boy. I saw him perform at the combine. I, I interviewed him had communication with him and it was, from an evaluator standpoint, I was not a fan of the way he carried himself, the way he understood playbook, the way he ran routes, the way he didn't run routes, the way numerous things. I had reasoning for all of that. The Will Levis thing, from the fantasy perspective, all the fantasy Twitter people who don't evaluate the position, don't evaluate all the players, don't go to all the events, or if they do, they go to one event. They go to like maybe the Senior Bowl, and then they, they say that they're whatever. I'm not going to get into that. But it's one where I thought early on, and this has nothing to do with C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson, I thought early on that Will Levis was the best quarterback in the class because of the pure arm talent and the ability to put the football where he needs to put the football. Yes, you can get erratic, but you talked about that process of Brett Favre, of even Rodgers. Rodgers less so. Brett Favre more in the aspect of I'll put the football wherever I want to put it, and I don't care if – I shouldn't have brought up Rodgers. Rodgers is, is more so now, but I'll get to that in a point. More of Brett Favre, more of Josh Allen. Like, I know I can put the football there. Let me let me show you. Let me force it. And, like, you're going to get those games. You're going to get a couple interception games out of Levis. That's just the way it's going to be. But I was never worried about that. I was more, more interested in the upside and the abilities of his arm and his legs and what he could be, his mentality, which NFL teams, some – talked about during the draft process or after the draft, which was the reason he maybe wasn't considered in that top five was because some people were kind of worried and pushed away from his mentality. And then I see people on Twitter also saying, you know, if you think he was a a first round pick, why didn't he go in the first round? It's like, well, sometimes only a couple teams need a quarterback in that range. You saw the Carolina Panthers mention Will Levis in the top four of this class. It just so happened that they chose 
Bryce Young. Houston Texans loved C.J. Stroud, and the Colts were debating the two guys, and they lent towards Richardson because you have to understand the legs aspect. He obviously has generational legs and abilities, but Levis just had a better arm, but he didn't have the mentality. He didn't quite have the legs. He wasn't quite as elite of a a structured quarterback as Bryce Young. He wasn't as accurate as C.J. Stroud. So those things happen, and guys fall, and then you get to the teens, and there's nobody there to draft him. And teams in the 20s don't want to draft a quarterback. They want to draft receivers. So you see four straight go. That happens. But then he goes within the first couple picks of the second round. And be like, well, he didn't go in the first round. It's like, well, they, he glorified first round pick. Whatever, dude. It doesn't really matter. The point more so is he's in a team and he's getting opportunities. And my point to come full circle is that despite seeing a game like this where Levis goes for four touchdowns, pushes the ball downfield for three of them heavily. They will say, you know, we didn't, we got to see more. He didn't do X. He didn't do Y. <clears throat> and I'm with you. He, he does have no, a number of things to fix. He did make a number of throws that were, were kind of cockamamie and didn't make any sense. You know, we do need to see more. But what I tweeted last night was when C.J. Stroud has a good game, there was no questions. It was just, you know, that's C.J. Stroud. He's a top five pick. But when he had a bad game, there was no questions. That was just, it happens. Good quarterbacks have bad games. But because it's Levis, Twitter hated him before the draft process and through after the draft process when he was with the Titans, they still didn't want to draft him in fantasy. Now we need to see more. Now we need to see more, even though he had a four-touchdown performance. First one since Marcus Mariota, whilst wearing number eight for the Tennessee Titans. Both can be good. You, Twitter, can be wrong. Like, it, it's, a, it's a thing that can happen. Stroud's good. I like Stroud. I like Levis. I love Richardson for fantasy. I was not really that big on Bryce Young. He's my quarterback four, but that's here nor there. Like, I think he's still a fine quarterback. He's just my least favorite out of the bunch. But what I think is that the the – the thoughts on Will Levis of we need to see more, whatever, whatever, it's fine because we do. We do need to see more. But to completely write off because this was, you know, this was a, you throw this one off his back shoulder or, uh, or his back foot. This ball should have been pass interference. This one, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, broke a tackle and scored. So that's not on Will Levis. Um, you know, you know, he was very inefficient. His, uh, his, uh, what, what was the fucking stat? It was like, I gotta find it, but, um, I gotta find this. This is a really, this is a really annoying one that I saw. I think it was Josh Lark yet, to be honest with you. Let me find it here. He had a big thread about this cause he watched all the film on, uh, Will Levis because Josh Lark is a big film guy. No, no shade. I'm just saying he's a big film guy. Um, 36.8% success rate and puts that as an X. Um, doesn't talk about his 12 yards average throw depth, which is second, four passing touchdowns, which was first in the week, 8.2 yards per attempt, 2.7 seconds average time to throw. But you have to focus in on the success rate being a failure. You have to focus in on the fact that, you know, five of his throws were more than 10 yards, nine were fewer than 10 yards, and a bunch of uh, incompletions in between those two things. Uh, in this guy's debut, like it's a debut. He throws for four touchdowns. They win the football game. He elevates the offense and there still has to be hate because we need to see more. We need to see more of all these quarterbacks. We need to see more to CJ Stroud. 
He had a good, good couple games. Bryce Young, we haven't seen really much of anything. He had a, finally had a good game against Houston, but they scored 15 points. Richardson had a couple good games, couldn't stay healthy. He was quarterback one in fantasy football on a points-per-game basis. Will Levis had a great game. We need to see more. Number one takeaway is Will Levis is an elevator. That's the big learning factor here. You saw him elevate an offense in his first career play, first career start. Talked about this a week ago. They're never going to trade Derrick Henry. They're not going to trade DeAndre Hopkins. Not when the door opened to see what Levis was. Because you don't trade away those those, those talents. Imagine trading away DeAndre Hopkins and trading away Derrick Henry, and Will Levis goes to that Falcons game with Tyser Spears behind him and Julius Chestnut, and he's throwing footballs to Kyle Phillips and Nick Westbrook-Akine. You're probably not going to get anywhere near that output because the talent around you is not on the same level. It doesn't allow you to, you know, you can elevate to a certain point, but it doesn't allow you to really, really show what you can be because the talent around you just isn't good. Whatever. Will Levis is good. I don't care. And if you want to run the Twitter streets and, and hate on Will Levis, you can have at it. But I appreciate you guys all for tapping in here. One hour on the dot. We got this baby done. Appreciate you guys. Neek in the chat. Sup? How we doing? He said, traded Jonathan Taylor, Godwin, and Downs. Traded Jonathan Taylor, Godwin, and Downs for Patrick Mahomes, Rashad White, and Amari Cooper. My current lineup sits at Howell, Taylor, McCaffrey, A.J. Brown, Nakua, Pitts, and my other running backs are Mostert and Khalil Herbert. Is that a good move? Yeah, probably to get because you got to move up from Howell. Yeah, I like it. The People's Champ, John 316 in the house. How was the honeymoon? The honeymoon was great. I spent a uh, day and a half in New Orleans, saw Maddie Kiwum, went to Dallas for a wedding, saw the Zach Bryan concert, went to uh, Cancun for five days, the honeymoon, ate way too much food. Then went to Austin, saw our boy Alex Dunlap, did a couple shows. Ate some good food, and then I just got back home last night, so that's why I'm late today, but I appreciate you guys. Justin Chats fighting. I traded Garrett Wilson and DK Metcalf for Devontae Smith, three firsts and two seconds in Dynasty. What do you think? What do I think? I think you made out like a fucking bandit. Congratulations on that trade, dude. I don't think Devonta Smith is that far below Garrett Wilson. I think he's ahead of DK Metcalf. So I would say uh, Devonta in a first to get you Garrett, I would say. And then you're talking about two firsts and two seconds for DK Metcalf. I think you made out like a bandit. Trade Waddle to get Adams. No, I would love to keep Waddle the way it is. You saw last night why Adams isn't isn't performing, and I'm not – you know, it's nothing to do with Adams. It has everything to do with the quarterback, and I don't think the quarterback's going to be changing anytime soon. This team blows – so I would not make that move. I just feel more confident in getting a consistent 16 out of Waddle than I do out of a boom bust out of Adams. 